job fair, literally, uh, when we first started the company up, when Neversoft let go of their Guitar Hero team in Woodland Hills. It just so happened we were the next town up, and we were able to interview 25 people for five slots at, at, at the beginning of the, uh, the company. So it worked out great. And we've seen, you know, everybody talks about Silicon Beach. There's a lot of truth to that. There's been an influx of programmers. And obviously, L.A. is a mecca for, for great musicians, so that's always been a pro- uh, mm-hmm. not a problem. Nashville's actually taken over a lot of that right now. Mm-hmm. I spend a lot of time in Nashville because it's an incredible incredible music town but uh so uh, it's hard either way it's like chemistry right you got to have somebody that works really hard that that gets the vision that's going to kill for it uh and is somewhat brilliant somehow so it's it's taken a while we're about 35 people at uh, music mastermind and it's it's trial by error you know up down you, know, you kind of build a team and, and put it back together until it's humming and it's exciting to ha- when that happens Right. And in terms of income, um, you know, percentage-wise, what would you say your your breakdowns are for when it's coming in from music and when it's coming in from the startup? And you know, where would you kind of like it to be ideally? Does negative count? <laughs> you know. If it's what percentage you know. of the negative income is coming from the one versus the other? Yeah, I, right now for me personally, it's all music. Yeah. Music money. I'm just putting it into the startup. I haven't launched. My, I'm about to get mine off the ground. So right, right, right. It's just sucking the life out of everything right now. Can I, <laughs> are you asking about personally or the company? Uh, personally, yeah. Okay. Um, so right now, I am not making anything off of my startup, um, and I'm just kind of self-supporting it. So we'll do that until it can last. Um, and we have private funders. Um, who've been very generous, um, who've been supporting the vision, so that's helped quite a bit. Um, so we, our app, which is, you know, like I said, it's out, which I'll just keep saying that. <laughs> you can check out this app. It's uh, it's all sweat equity, so we're, we all just built, We, I mean, we all put in the time, and Sashi right there built it, and he put in a lot of time. Everybody moved out, well, they moved out from New York to L.A., we moved the team oh, wow. out west. Nice. <laughs> uh, we all met in New York, and then everybody came back to the West Coast. But um, yeah, I think we just wanted to build it because we could, and then and then show it to people as opposed to pitch an idea and try to find right. money. We didn't we didn't have to go that route. But uh, yeah, but the uh, you know the drummer question. By the way, <laughs> I was thinking about that question. Wait, was it a good drummer or a good programmer or just yeah. a drummer? No, or no, a good, yeah, good. Well, I was good. Well, the other thing too. I mean, I, there are a lot of good drummers out there. You know this. Come on. <laughs> but um, the uh, I just I know a lot of great session musicians that are like looking for a gig, and I think either the gigs they find don't pay them well because mm-hmm. there are fewer bigger acts that can uh, that pay like session guys good money, or. Uh, a lot of bands don't even have drummers today or don't even need drummers because they're being replaced by like program drums. So you can program, well, it's programmers, I guess. Another mm-hmm. former programmer, drum programmer. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we could jump right in here. I've qualified to a great programmer and a great program. Great question. That's a, that's a really great question. Look, Sashi, get up so. here. Um, <laughs> So I actually worked for Google in the early days. Okay, sorry, let me just repeat the question. It was, I'll just, oh, yeah. I'll just say it. So you know, it takes it takes a, a really good musician to understand the difference between a good drummer and a great drummer. 
question is, are any of you guys qualified to understand the difference between a good programmer and a great programmer? Yeah, so um, I set up the first Google office in India, um, their research and development office. So I met quite a few great programmers, um, my husband being one of the early Google engineers. Um, so yes, I do know the difference. Um, and there, there are quite a few. It's the same kind of difference, isn't it? it yes, because and, and really what it, what it boils down to is creativity. Yeah, and definitely. how expressive of a nature people can get out there and code. And um, sometimes lines of code can look like beautiful lyrics, but maybe not very many people know how to read them. They just interact with them and they're seamless. So, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty nuanced. But when you see great, great interaction or, or great code or a great programmer, you, they have the kind of dynamic thinking that a, um, a great drummer would probably have also. Yeah, I think it's also being intuitive, which would be the same with the great drummer. You know, someone that can either develop an idea with you or, or take direction from you and turn it into something that you were actually thinking and in a reasonable time. That's what I would look for in a programmer. Yeah. And I'll say, you know, it's just like being a better and better musician. It, it is trial by fire. Mm-hmm. You have to learn. And frankly, our first generation code is like way over there. It's gone because it blew and it wasn't stable and we <laughs> couldn't scale it to the world. I had to change the CTO. I had to learn all that kind of after building the music tech out from a, a, a uh, kind of what we wanted to do, we still have problems uh, kind of to scale this to the world. So so the answer is it's a learning curve, just like the first time you hear, you know, paradiddles from a drummer, you think, oh my God, that's incredible. And then you can tell who can do great paradiddles. Right on. Uh, okay, moving down the line here. Um, the notion of selling out is obviously something that musicians are constantly concerned about. Uh, when it comes to the idea of having a startup, um, you know, do you, do you feel as musicians that it, that you're perceived as being a sellout or something like that, or how you know how do you kind of avoid that, and and how do you make business ventures seem authentic or mm-hmm. be authentic? Right. Yeah. I'll take uh, this. Oh, no, please. Um, I think it's interesting. Uh, it's interesting when people. Um, I've seen a lot of musicians, when they get deals in front of them, they get really excited, and sometimes the deal closes with some short-sightedness. And maybe it's before the team has really formed or really understood their full vision. Um, But it's understandable because the resources and the... You don't know when the next thing is going to come. So it's really... Um, a matter of what you choose. Like, yes, this this really feels authentic to me. So at Zoo Labs, we really try to boil down what is like what is the value proposition you're giving, and who who would the strategic alliance really like? How do you break that down, and how do you evaluate the risk? And I think that the notion of selling out is interesting because you know it gets talked a lot about um, in terms of musicians and. I think it's all about where are the deals from and what's the upside. And sometimes not enough people have the tools to deal with evaluating that upside. And so to their fans, they seem like sellouts because they're going away from their vision um, when 
you know, it was something in front of them that they wanted to jump on. Um, so, yeah. I, um, for me, I, you know, maybe it's a, a fault of mine, but I don't worry about that. I mean, music is supposed to be a connector. Software is supposed to be a connector. We're supposed to connect with people. The more people you connect with, the more meaningful the music is, the more meaningful the software is. I mean, that's what we're supposed to do, right? And and success comes from that. So that's what we're focused on. And I, I think you can get twisted if you get uh, tripped up with the, the sellout concept. Yeah. Okay. I think that selling out in music is much, is a lot, it's more touchy than I think in like the tech community, I think. I don't want to say that to offend anyone in the tech community, but I feel like bands are so conscious of like their image and who their fans are and who they're opening for or whatever world they're associated to. And I think, like, you know, band, one of the ways that bands gain uh, fans is by opening for other bands that have more fans than them. So sometimes whoever you pair yourself up with can reflect on you as what your music says or what it's about. That's why you find bands that are sort of in your space. But... Um, I don't know what the equivalent of that is in this tech community, in the startup community. If you have a company, I don't know how what the equivalent of opening up for somebody is. But I think that it seems like sometimes companies sell out when they sell. Like selling is selling out. At t- I mean, it depends on who, who's buying you or how much money it's worth or what they're going to do with your technology. But I think that like it can make you look like more cheesy and mainstream if you sell right. MySpace to Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> but no, I, I think that people root for the underdog too, I, I think, and it seemed like Facebook was like the underdog at that time more than MySpace. I know MySpace music industry at that time was like a It was like, how many fans likes do they have? Or how many friends? Yeah. And then we'll go put the record out. But um, yeah, I don't know. I just think bands are more like conscious of their perception and if they're cool or not and I think it's a lot easier to to position yourself incorrectly in the, in the music space mm-hmm. and I can say with my with this startup we have that we had a whole strategy of like to keep it cool because if you want to get bands they're going to see who else is on the app and then they're going to be like oh, I don't really like these bands so I'll, you know screw this app but so we were going to target like cool bands like indie bands I'll tell you, this is our strategy. Right. <laughs> you guys are like, this is the worst strategy ever. <laughs> Bless you. But, uh, the, but the indie bands didn't really have any fans. So then there's not a lot of users. Right. So we have a problem on our hands. So we need more indie bands. And indie bands were tough to get on the app because they were so precious about their image. Right. They were like, you know, I don't know if this really looks good for me. I use Instagram. I'm, I'm fine with that. But so then we were like, well, we got to like find a community somewhere. So let's just like keep chopping away and go to everybody. And at a certain point, we were just trying to like, you know, find the community. So you just have to like open it up and just find it and go to everybody. And that's what we had to do is just keep pitching it to all types of people in the music industry. So anyway. So it's an interesting mix in the panels. You've got two people focused on consumer-facing applications. Vanitha, you're in a, in a different spot altogether. Elmo, you're focused more on the business of it. Uh, from what I can see looking at the industry, it looks like 
if not 90%, 95% of the startups are all trying to figure out how to capture the fans' attention. And yet so much of the music industry is broken under the hood. <laughs> and uh, uh, so I'm curious about why everybody seems to be chasing the fan and we're seeing you know, 10 or 15 new music tech apps launching to the fan every day when we're bleeding money from inside the business on such a bad, uh, such a, got a crazy rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, well, my, my startup's actually musician to musician. There's a lot of musician to fan right now or artist to fan right now, and I was just trying to help communication between musicians it was really just I'm just scratching my own itch and something I wanted to fix and I think that's what's different in terms of the sellout point because in at least with the music I release you have an emotional message with it and with my startup I'm kind of just trying to fix a problem that's a problem for me as well so I don't really know how I mean a selling out would probably be the you know the acquiring or the selling if they were to acquire me and then like completely change my product Mm -hmm. in some way but i think that's why you were saying like it's more sensitive to the musician because you're really like vulnerable and like usually speaking from the heart hopefully as a musician not not always of course but Mm. so i think that's why it's more sensitive and especially to your fans because your fans a lot of the time like look up to you as an artist or a musician or with your vision or the way you express your thoughts um, directly to you or, and the people in your band with your message compared to people using a product which all the time doesn't really have a face directly tied to it, which it did with Tom yeah, because true. he made you do it as soon as you signed up on it. That's true. Well, the question, I just want to understand the question. Uh, so focused on the fan as opposed to trying to f- you know, fix the problems in the business. A lot of, uh, uh, let's say, non-music tech companies have focused on solving monetary problems inside of the business. Uh, and yet the music tech seems to be taking, uh, for many people, a different approach. So it was the, the context is, why is everybody going chasing the fan as opposed to solving other problems in the industry which are not direct to fan? Yeah, look, I would agree with your, your query. You've got to be careful to do a subset of a subset of, of a subset, right, and, and, then, and then expect things to change. So, I mean, for us personally, and this is not the only way to do it, but, but we, we've been very diligent on focusing on the consumer, the consumer, the people that just want to have fun around music, and we use game and game design and gamification to attract people that would not normally be anywhere near music or music creation, and, and bring them in. And, and I think that's, that's how we crack that nut because it is a, you don't want to be chasing a dwindling industry down into the sunset, right? You need to help change the way the industry works and create monetization and, and revenue opportunities that are different uh, and additive, which is what we feel we've done with Zaya. We're, able, we're showing that, and we have the whole music business involved behind us. You can do mashups and create all kinds of cool music right on your phone. You've got a, a multi-million dollar uh, digital recording studio with a game on your phone. It's really exciting, and it's creating money, new money. It's, it's, it's derivative, derivative copyrights, et cetera. It's a, kind of a whole new use case. Yeah, I think for us, you know, we're a Silicon Valley-born uh, company, and we're really looking at different approaches and what we call goat trails. What are people doing today that are, are helping them sustain? And, you know, as far as I see it, there's a lot of noise going on. There's a lot of chasing going on, and... I said this to one of our artists today, which is, you know, it doesn't make sense if you're chasing 
a wave that someone was already on, like a surfer would never do that. You know, that would be like asinine. You know, you would look behind you and and catch the wave that's coming. So Zoo Labs is really about that. Like, you know, it's it's like what's coming, how do we adapt, how do we evolve? And one thing I'm fiercely protective of my artists of getting them space and time to think and to really vision out those next waves that are coming and how they can kind of protect themselves, how can they move through it. Um, Because, you know, a lot of the stuff that's been going is like, it's, it's sticky. There's, there's, there's big businesses that have complicated systems in there. And, you know, one of the beautiful things with being part of a company like Google was like, okay, people say search is dead, and now it's not. So, you know, we really have that belief of, like, looking behind us and seeing what wave is coming and then kind of trying to catch that. Um, you know, on, on that note, uh, I think one, one more question I've got before we really turn it over to, the, to, to your guys' questions. Um, what do you guys think is that next wave? I mean, you know, what is the next? I mean, obviously, if it was a very specific thing, it's probably the, the company that you started. But, you know, more generally, you know, what is the next uh, headphones or what is the next, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know, the next wave? Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of people trying to get, um, like, jamming through the Internet, like, with getting latency low enough to where you could actually do that through, like, Skype jam sessions. I feel like there's a lot of companies doing that right now, and I think when someone, like, really captures it, that's going to be pretty crazy to do. Um, it's I don't think it's necessary, but I think it would be really fun. Um, I would like to see an app that loads my equipment for me, but I'm not. <laughs> I don't know how we're going to do this. That's maybe they could 3D print it. Yeah, maybe they could 3D print it somewhere else. You know, the thing that I really want to see is the nest for music. Um, I really want to see, you know, emotions and uh you know music matched to what i'm feeling or what i'm thinking i really want to look at you know predict predictive technologies um wearables you know we've been talking about wearables for so long it's like it's coming it's here but you know the next generation of wearables um yeah i'm really excited to see see those things kind of come to life um i just had my answer i completely just forgot it because uh, I was thinking about the last I was thinking about your question sorry you just, you got me thinking <laughs> um, but uh, well okay so I, now I just remembered so basically it ties into your question which is I think the business is creating a fan base and keeping them happy and keeping them making a creating a loyal audience because that is your business like your fans they are your business and I think people maybe overlook that. I don't understand. I feel like it's pretty clear that if you play to a room with no one in it, it's a shitty show. <laughs> so hopefully people come back yeah. to see you and then bring their friends and bring their friends and then you have something happening. But so keeping your fans happy is like everyone should be the priority, I think. And I think any way, any tools that help you do that is, a, I think, a really effective tool. And I think that... Um, but I think maybe for the future is figuring out how to like monetize where the next, like where is this sustainability in, in the in the music industry? 
Like, I think that it's just all, like, rolling the dice every time, and everyone's, like... I mean, everyone was always guessing with me. I mean, I didn't sign bands, and do that wasn't my business, but I, I know I worked alongside a label where I became close with everybody at the company and saw what they went through to sign an artist and take a stab at radio and with when you know when there was also a big downloading illegal downloading problem and so like i saw there's always been like a struggle of not knowing what's really going to hit and just signing a bunch of stuff that might has potential but uh but i feel like now we have we have such a healthy we have we have all the tools to create an exciting like independent music world it's just how you monetize that like where is the model in it and I think everyone's doing it a set different way, which makes it even more confusing. Right. And then I think going to the Michael Jackson Inc. book, like... Thank you. That's the plug. <laughs> plug it in. Available in June. <laughs> um, the, uh, like, you know, he, he... I mean, we don't talk about Michael Jackson, but, like, he's so big, and, like, all the people who are of in the Michael Jackson's... Uh, the big artists, the big pop artists of today who are doing those endorsement deals mean enough to those companies where they can do these big deals and they're influential enough to those, to the, the audience of those companies. So those deals can be had by those artists, but that's not, that model doesn't work for everybody. You can't apply. That's not a model. It's like a very small percentage of people can do that. So, you know, but I, I think people are finding clever ways to create new revenue streams for themselves. I think that's, cool that they're doing that i think you have to survive somehow so they're doing it but i just wonder what tech you know what startups gonna like create a true model that actually is like working for like a lot of artists i don't know um i know i know one thing this is kind of off subject but that band coheed in cambria right had like a really aggressive fan base that was like completely engaged and so they put out their full-length record and it sold so-and-so records and then they put out a $50 package and they sold 50,000 of the $50 package and it made way more than the whole rest of the record did just because they had 50,000 fans that were completely in love with them. And I think bands figuring out how to monetize like a company and develop new products that are interesting and innovative and cost-effective somehow, you know, even you could have 10,000, 20,000 fans if they're hardcore fans and you can give them a product that they would love in return, something that makes them feel inspired, engaged. However, yeah. that's, I think that's a new a new way that people have have to do it. Yeah. I would agree, and I, I also think that uh, you know, love it or hate it, the the Beats deal represents the fact that we are moving more and more to an always on streaming model, mm-hmm. and there's both danger in that fairness for artists and songwriters, but there's also opportunity. There's a, there's a huge amount of opportunity because. You can scale the business beyond where it is now with the right approach and with, again, new revenue streams, not just looking at the old models and saying, we just got to stuff it in here. You got to really holistically reinvent. Um, so I think there's a huge opportunity in that in the coming, coming co- next couple of years. Well, I'll add one of my own before we uh, open it up. Um, I think that, I guess it's not really necessarily techie, but... Uh, artist curated music festivals I think like you know starting to see it with Jay-Z's Made in America Festival um, and you know I can imagine you know I think you don't have to be an artist of that level to have a music festival I think if Coheed and Cambria you know uh, curated a music festival and they played and they, they invited you know a few of their favorite bands you get you, get, you know if you yeah. get half of those 50,000 people yeah. to show up 
Uh, it could be pretty good. Uh, Actually, pretty good I, model. Had, I had two friends that did train tours last year. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ed Sharp did it, sure, and yeah. Skrillex did it, and they just put on their their family like that is their scene. They all hopped on the train, which was a model, obviously from when it happened in the seventies. Who, who who did it originally? The Beatles. Well, that's yes, true. Thank that's you. Right, yeah. And um, um, Festival Express. Yes. Um, but yes. But that's totally it, and that's just another way for an artist to engage and really build their build their entire team and build their family around them. For sure. All right. Well, thank you all very much, uh, and let's open it up now for for questions. Anybody out there with any uh, additional? All right, in the back. Can we get your microphone? Hey. Um, so there's five of you sitting up there. And you've got five startups and five bands or music careers. Um, can you guys talk about your partners? Like, I, I find that the um, the hardest thing in a startup or in music is to find the right partners to work with who are in as much as you are and have the right skills and you have that chemistry. Definitely. Um, if, if any of you are self-made people who do everything yourselves, I'm curious about that too. Um, are you talking about teams for the startup or teams for... Partners, your partners. Or... Your, your core partners in the in your startups and in your music. Right. Um, well, I know for me when I when I was decided I'm gonna like buckle down and make this, I was like, okay, I've never had a startup before. I need a team that knows how to you know build the business end and help me. So that I partnered with um, a company called the Adventure Capitalists, who are not VCs out of Santa Barbara, who helped just build companies and kind of got the idea out of my head and onto paper into a business plan into a deck into something I could like pitch and present to people in order to build the rest of the team. And that was I f- the the um the team I partnered with was actually a longtime friend of mine and when I told her the idea she was into it and I knew for sure that she was like a workhorse and was just a really a really great person. So and the idea of what we were talking about earlier is how what I learned with being a musical a musical director is the only way to be really successful in building your band is to build a family because if not you'll be on the road and you can still feel completely lonely even if you have success and you have like your bus full every bunk and you're like completely have people stacked on top of you you can still feel lonely so I took that and was like I want to build a family with this and especially a real strong core so the first few people are really important because I just started adding more and more you know you have all your personalities and everything and I didn't want us to be like dinner party in Cabo we're successful I don't want to sit next to Tom you know like <laughs> didn't want didn't want that at all so I went and got like a business strategy firm first um, which worked out great and then I went and got my technology firm and I really wanted all either musicians or music enth- enthusiasts to be involved so they understand like what we're trying to do it's not just like a gig and they're getting paid and I found a tech company with the CEO who's a six-string fretless bassist. And I was like, yes, that's my guy. <laughs> and it's just, if, so with that strong core, then I went and had to get my law firm to make sure everything was safe and good. And I got it and went with an entertainment law firm instead of a tech law firm. And um, kind of just built from there for me. Yeah. For me, I started a Music Mastermind with a co-founder, a guy named Bo Bezalewski, who um, comes more from the financial world and was very helpful in kind of organizing the business principles behind the architecture we wanted to put in place. So from that, uh, we raised angel money, uh, including from ourselves, and then eventually got VCs involved. I feel like I'm cheating because that's one of my partners. 
Um, so actually, my whole Zoo Labs team is here, and one of my artists, um, and we have great connection. Um, we were scrappy, you know. Uh, we had three co-founders. Um, one of them I went to business school with. One of them is my husband, and then we added uh, um, awesome collaborators. Um, and then we built a board. We built a board of advisors. That was the biggest thing, um, I think because we needed adults who came in and said, like, you know, you guys, this is a bad decision. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Um, and actually, I had one of those those board meetings last week, and I was like, yeah, you're right. That was a really bad decision. Um, thank you for telling me. Um, so, yeah, we have a really strong team, and I'm almost going to just ask the Zoo Labs team to just stand up because I'm going to embarrass you. I'm kind of... Stand up, zoo, shout out, zoo loud. Yeah. And Bosco. Bosco's our, one of our next residents. All right. Yeah. There you go. Um, so, uh, okay. Sashi's here. Who's, we're, we have a team. We're a part of the team. We're two of three. But uh, so I worked, uh, I was an advisor to two startups. One was called Big Live. One was called Sonic Panther two music uh, startups and I uh, worked alongside them closely and it was a really great experience and through Sonic Panther I met I heard about a great startup called Kitty Karaoke which Sashi started with Tom and it was you could battle uh, you could battle people with cat memes that would move their <laughs> no, I love that. so I thought that was a cool idea and then I, I met them and you, we just had like a blind date and then uh we just connected, and then I would sh- shoot ideas their way, and eventually something they thought was exciting, and they were they were going to move on from their kitty karaoke concept. So uh, we all got together and pursued this twenty two concept. But I don't know. I mean, I think everybody they moved out west, which is a big deal. Everybody moved there, picked up, packed up, and left. You know, and there these are guys, these are all super qualified guys that could get hired like anywhere. So I think uh, we, we were just lucky. I, I feel really lucky that I got to meet them. I love you, man. Oh, <laughs> Saj is a great guy. Uh, he's a kind guy, kind man. He's gentle, he's gentle. I feel like we could talk about programmers' personalities because it's exciting to hear what makes him tick. Anyway, whatever. I'll move on. I think, sorry. I think we both embarrassed our teams. I'm sorry. Next, uh, next question in the black shirt right there. Tony, is your name? You have a question, right? Okay, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> All right. Anyone else out there? Questions? Uh, right here, yeah. Uh, uh, my get... name is Bosco. I'm a music producer, and I have a... Uh, my name is... Check, check. All right. <laughs> My name is Bosco Conte. I'm a music producer, and I have a tech startup uh, called Electrospit. That's a uh, hardware talk box that's actually going through Zoo Labs um, right now. Um, but I just wanted to hear from the panelists, like, why is it important for um, a musician to, to have a startup? Like, why is that even – why is it necessary to do something different? And I know that it's, it's been said on the panel already that it's difficult – so what is there a payoff in doing the two difficult things at the same time? Why is it important or necessary? Yeah, why, why not just do music? And if you're going to do both, what's, is there, what's the benefit? I don't, I don't think it's necessary. and I don't think it's important to have a startup. I feel like it's just maybe a good time because there's opportunity 
to do some, you know, if you're creative, think if you, musicians, musicians are creative people. And I think that maybe you can inspire a team of really incredible, talented programmers and people to get rallied together and inspire them with an idea that has promise. But I don't think it's important. I just think there are some musicians out there that have an idea that they think might work just like anybody and they just want to do it. And I think the music industry is like, it's a, I mean, it's a crazy time in the music industry. It's really exciting, but it's also super challenging. So maybe, maybe people are just like seeking a new way. I don't know everybody's passion, but, but maybe that's the answer. But I don't think it's like a net, you, you have to have one or something. But I think it's good. I mean, I think if you're making a music company, it would be great if you were a musician. Um, I know. I finally, I had the idea for mine five years ago and decided not to do it after working on it for like a couple months and starting to write a business plan. I was like, what am I doing? I'm, I'm not trying to be a businessman right now. I'm trying to be a musician. And, but over those next four years, it was on my mind the whole time. And so for me personally, in my situation, I was like, I have to, I have to at least try this just so it gets out of my mind, <laughs> you know, and no one else had, had really done what I, what I wanted to do. So it was like, I kind of torturing myself by not trying it. And that was why I finally decided I, it's time to do it. That, that's, that's actually totally where I'm at. The idea for Electrospit, which is the custom talk box. I've been doing talk box on records and had a lot of success done records with you know Kanye West and uh, you know all of these hit records and and always had this idea about a custom talk box but just the right time wasn't there to do it and I did I started I made some prototypes but it's like ah oh, this is you know too much I'm just gonna um, keep doing music and I think the, the the turning point was well the turning point was definitely meeting Zoo Labs and 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 them kind of before I even did the residency, emphasizing the uh, the team aspect mm-hmm. and and seeing that maybe I can do this with the right team, you know what I couldn't do by myself, which was too overwhelming. With the right team, I can do it. So mm-hmm. I just say that's my own answer. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, uh, one last question. One more. One more quick. One more quick. Okay. I think this is a quick one. So. Um, Music is actually what inspired me to start learning how to code. Um, I'm starting year three at a company, blah, blah, blah. One thing I really like about coding that is very similar to music is I find the more languages I learn, it's a lot like learning different instruments. And much like instruments, they have their own qualities. Uh, So I guess my question is the two-part one. Um, First of all, do any of you actually code? Have you done that? Uh, Number two is if you do... Do you have sort of a favorite language or layer in the stack that you're attracted to? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, Does basic count? It's a, yeah. I, I learned when I was a kid, and, and I've always been fascinated because it's architecture, right? Music is architecture, code is architecture, great architecture holds together. But I only understand it in a theoretical sense. I don't, modern, modern C, sharp, et cetera. I, I know how to work with people that do it, but I don't. Um, so I started learning Python, um, and it's a really cool language. Um, it's getting cooler, too, yeah. Um, and we actually offered a Python programming class uh, to all of the musicians in our community. So Chief Excel from Blackalicious, the first day uh, after, after the first class, he's like, man, this is just like learning an instrument. 
And um, so one of the things we really want to do is demystify a lot of this stuff because there's such beauty in those languages and there's such beauty in music and there's, there's a bridge that needs to be built and, you know, we really have taken it upon ourselves at Zoo Labs to, to create that. Um, but yeah, I, I like Python and I like computer music programming. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know how to program, but uh, Sashi does. All right. Well, on that note, uh, thank you all for taking the time. Thank you all for taking the time, and uh, and thank you to the Music Tech Summit uh, for for having all of us in here today. So.